days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah, the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die. You shall not recover. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, Now, O Lord, please remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And before Isaiah had gone out of the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him, Turn back and say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, Thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you. On the third day, you shall go up to the house of the Lord, and I will add 15 years to your life. I will deliver you and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. And Isaiah said, Bring a cake of figs and let them take it and lay it on the boil that he may recover. And Hezekiah said to Isaiah, What shall be the sign that the Lord will heal me and that I shall go up to the house of the Lord on the third day? And Isaiah said, This shall be the sign to you from the Lord, that the Lord will do the things that he has promised. Shall the shadow go forward ten steps or go back ten steps? And Hezekiah answered, It is an easy thing for the shadow to lengthen ten steps. Rather let the shadow go back ten steps. And Isaiah the prophet called to the Lord, and he brought the shadow back ten steps by which it had gone down the steps of Ahaz. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. You have had those days, those days that seemed to pass so quickly because you enjoyed them so much. They seemed to fly by. Uh, those days seemed like minutes rather than hours. And then you have had those days that seemed never to end. Uh, those days when it seemed like a week or a month or a year was enveloped in a single day. I remember it was probably seven years ago on a Sunday. We had had at that time two morning services. We had had our first morning service. It was the changeover in between services when all of a sudden, even from in here, I could hear the crash outside. When I did, there were a couple of doctors who ran quickly to that vehicle. I stayed on this side of things and let people handle it on that side who knew what they were doing. Highway 70 was shut down. The helicopter would land here behind our building and we would wait to see what would happen. A family, the Kingsleys, were in their minivan turning into the parking lot, into the entrance when they were rear-ended. It never should have happened this way, but it did, and a seat broke, and uh, little Weston, who was a year old, received an impact. He was flown to Asheville Hospital, and when Highway 70 opened up, I left here and 
and went there. But before I did, we gathered in that 11 a.m. time around this altar and begged God to intervene. We wept as a church. We prayed. We sought God. I remember kneeling at this altar and asking God if he would preserve John's faith in light of all of this, I had the privilege of leading John to relationship with the Lord, and I so wanted to see John flourish and thrive, uh, regardless of what the outcome would be. John had led Kelsey, his wife, to the Lord. That God was at work in this young family's life, and so I drove to the hospital, and I stood with this family for the next few hours as Weston died. And went to be with the Lord. It was a difficult day, a long day, one that as a pastor you never forget. It's etched in the memory of of you as you have images of that, uh, all of it in, in a single day. Hezekiah is experiencing one of those days. As a matter of fact, the passage opens up with the phrase, in those days. What days, you ask? Uh, It was the days, believe it or not, of the siege. Assyria, King Sennacherib is taunting, yelling, uh, sending messengers. He is quick to... uh, to overcome uh, and, and to besiege the city of Jerusalem. It is while the siege is going on that Hezekiah is sick. He's so sick, he's uh, near death. He's deathly ill. And in that situation and in that circumstance, uh, to add insult to injury, it seems The prophet Isaiah shows up, knocks on the door of the palace and is allowed in and finds his way into the king's chamber and there tells King Hezekiah, thus says the Lord, you will die and not live. Set your house in order. There's no recovery for you. This is the word of the Lord. And Hezekiah turns his face to the wall and begins to pray. We are privy to his brief prayer here, but uh, thankfully in Isaiah's work, Isaiah 38 has verbatim this historical event. But in addition to the historical uh, uh, details, Isaiah has a song that Hezekiah wrote after he was uh, saved from dying. And it is from uh, both accounts, the account in Kings and the account in Isaiah that we uh, discover uh, this uh, prayer that Isaiah prays. I summarize it with this. Oh, Lord, remember this, don't remember that. Oh, Lord, remember this, don't remember that. 
Now, we're not here this morning to learn how to pray when times are hard. That, that kind of just comes natural. We just uh, pray to God when times are hard. We're here to discover a God of hard times. Who is this God when, when those days come? Who is he and what might he do? Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, Now, O Lord, please remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness with the whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness. Consistent over time is the word faithful. And with the whole heart, inner integrity Hezekiah says to God, and have done what is good in your sight, not trying to please others, which is difficult for a politician, difficult for a king to do, but Hezekiah says, I've done what is good in your sight. You may wonder, is it ever okay to pray such a prayer? Is it okay to, uh, in a sense, remind God of the... Um, the sequence of the story of your own life, if you go to the book of Psalms, there are laments there. A lament was a psalm of mourning. Uh, several of the psalms are psalms of lament, and one of the uh, realities of the psalm of lament is that it follows a pattern. In those psalms, uh, the psalmist will cite his own character, like Hezekiah has done. The Lord's mercy and the past as a basis for why he might receive his request. So this is not unusual. Hezekiah is not doing something that is unusual. You see, when Hezekiah became king, he followed his awful father Ahaz. And unlike Ahaz, Hezekiah did walk faithfully before God. He did honor God he did what was right in the sight of God. So I ask you this morning, can you look back over, let's just say 2021. Uh, it's almost December. The year is almost gone. Can you look back over 2021 and see a life, not of perfection, uh, you won't do that, but of consistency? of faithfulness, of persistence, of perseverance. Eugene Peterson referred to the Christian life as a long obedience in the same direction. A long obedience in the same direction. Hezekiah looked at his life and said, Lord, would you look at what I've done? He's been king now for about 15 years, it seems, when you put the numbers together. Uh, Lord, look at what I've done. But there is a balance to Hezekiah's prayer. Uh, it says uh, succinctly in Kings, he wept bitterly. Weeping bitterly in Scripture uh, always based on my study, and if you find otherwise, please let me know, and I'll correct it next week, always has a negative connotation. You remember when Peter denied Jesus, he went out and what? Wept bitterly. 
So Hezekiah reminds God of his faithfulness, but there is a bitter weeping. And thankfully, Isaiah, recording Hezekiah's song, gives us insight into the bitter weeping. Here's what Isaiah writes. A writing of Hezekiah, king of Judah, after he had been sick and had recovered from his sickness. Here's what Hezekiah says. I said in the middle of my days, I must depart. I am consigned to the gates of Sheol for the rest of my years. I said, I shall not see the Lord, the Lord in the land of the living. I shall look on man no more among the inhabitants of the world. My dwelling is plucked up and removed from me like a shepherd's tent. Like a weaver, I've rolled up my life. He cuts me off from the loom. From day to night, you bring me to an end. I calmed myself until morning like a lion. He breaks all my bones. From day to night, you bring me to an end. Like a swallow or a crane, I chirp. I moan like a dove. These are Hezekiah's words. My eyes are weary with looking upward. O Lord, I am oppressed. Be my pledge of safety. What shall I say? For he has spoken to me and he himself has done it. I walk slowly all my years because of the bitterness of my soul. O Lord, by these things men live and in all these things is the life of my spirit. O restore me to health and make me live. Behold, it was for my welfare that I had great bitterness. Here's that word now twice. But in love, you've delivered my life from the pit of destruction. For you have cast all my, what? All my sins behind your back. For Sheol does not thank you. Death does not praise you. Those who go down to the pit do not hope for your faithfulness. We discover from Isaiah's inclusion of Hezekiah's song that that Hezekiah had two things in mind when he turns to the wall to pray. He wants God to remember his faithfulness and he wants God to forget his faithlessness. Both. Simultaneously. And if you've lived and walked with the Lord for any period of time, you also uh, have faithful things you've done and faithless things you've done. Amen? Our lives are that mix, aren't they? They're that conflicting mix of, of, of faithfulness and faithlessness. Let's just take a few moments to break this down. He says, I am consigned to the gates of Sheol. Hezekiah says, I am at the point of no return. Death is unavoidable. And then he gives four images of his life. Perhaps you missed them, but they're, they're, they're important because they give insight. He says, I am a tent, a shepherd's tent. Shepherds in those days were nomadic. They would take their sheep to a pasture until that pasture was eaten, no longer green. They would move it to a green pasture. Their tents were temporary. Hezekiah says, my life is as fleeting as a shepherd's tent. I've barely started. He was 39, and I'm dying. A weaver. I've rolled up my life. A weaver would use a loom, and he or she would weave whatever it is, uh, the throw, the, 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 the uh, cover, the, uh, the table cover, whatever it may be, weave that out on the loom, and then when he's finished, tie the knots off uh, and then cut along that woven piece. 
Hezekiah pictures it. He was weaving, but God started cutting. It's almost as if God stepped up to the loom and started cutting before he was finished weaving. He pictures God like a lion breaking his bones. If God is the lion, then Hezekiah feels like prey running for his life. And then he pictures himself like a swallow and a crane. His prayers are like the loud shriek of a crane until his strength is completely gone and all he can do is moan like a swallow and a dove. Hezekiah doesn't want to die in his condition. After he apparently receives the news that he will live and not die, he says, Behold, it was for my welfare that I great bitterness, but in love you have delivered my life from the pit of destruction, for you have cast all my what? Sins behind your back. For Sheol does not thank you, death does not praise you. Those who go down to the pit do not hope for your what? Faithfulness. Oh, Lord, um, remember my faithfulness and don't remember my faithlessness. And I've, got, I've just got to wonder if what Hezekiah is reflecting on was that moment in time when Sennacherib sent word, I'm coming to attack you. And Hezekiah's response was to go grab all the gold and silver out of the treasury and to strip the temple of its gold and try to pay Sennacherib off rather than turning to the wall. But when Isaiah the prophet comes in and says, you're going to die and not live and there's no recovery for you, Hezekiah prays. He turns to the wall and he seeks God. But the question is, will God answer his prayer? Will God remember his faithfulness and forget his faithlessness? And here's what we discover, second truth, final truth of this sermon. God remembers neither this nor that. That may catch you by surprise. God remembers neither his faithfulness nor his faithlessness. And before Isaiah had gone out of the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him, to Isaiah. Turn back and say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears, behold, I will heal you. On the third day, you shall go up to the house of the Lord, and I will add 15 years to your life. I will deliver you in this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend the city for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. This is a very quick answer, isn't it? It's pretty remarkable. Hezekiah turns to the wall. And he turns to the wall and begins to pray. And while he is praying, Isaiah, who has then uh, been uh, excused from the king's palace, is not even out of the king's palace. And God speaks to him and says, Isaiah, turn around, go back, and tell him that he's going to live and not die. Well, why? It is in God's answer through Hezekiah or through Isaiah that we discover something of God that is rather remarkable and life-changing if you get it and it also gets you. Listen to God's answer. Turn back and say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people. 
He refers to Hezekiah as the leader of his people. Here we discover that God remembers his purposes. God remembers his purposes. Hezekiah is the leader of God's people with a job to do. To lead them spiritually and politically as Assyria is attacking them. God is going to preserve Hezekiah because Hezekiah has a job to do. Here we see what is referred to in theology as the sovereignty of God. God who is above history and working out his purposes as he will use in whom he chooses. And he says to him, I will deliver you in this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria. And I will defend this city for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. I have a purpose to do. I'm going to work through you. I'll be doing the delivering. You'll be doing the communicating and the leading. But secondly, we discover that God remembers his promises. Uh, God is yet in his answer to reflect on Hezekiah, either his faithfulness or his faithlessness. That's so critical to understand because he says, the God of David, your father. Why does that matter? God had made a covenant with King David. And in the covenant with King David, King David would have a child who 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 would have a child. child. And eventually from King David's line would come one whose name was Jesus, who would be the Messiah, who would be the Savior of the world. And Hezekiah is in the line of David. Now, Let me just step aside for a moment and say, if I had a cup of coffee and we had a table and we could sit down and talk, we could have a pretty amazing conversation about a God who is going to carry that out because he promised King David he would, but shows up and says to King Hezekiah, who's in the line of King David, your boy, uh, you are going to die. And King Hezekiah is yet to have a son. Uh, According to the chronology, Hezekiah is childless at this point. So you're going to die. You're, You're going to die, meaning you're not going to have a son. But my promise is that I'm going to bring a son from King David. How is it that the same God who made that promise to King David is looking at King Hezekiah and saying you're going to die? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. I just know that there is a God in heaven who when he makes his promises, keeps them. I just know that there is a God who has never, ever, ever gone back on any piece of any promise that he's ever made. And whatever promise he makes, he will bring it to fruition one way or another, amen? Amen. He is that God. You can trust him today. You can take it to the bank that what God says he's going to do, he's going to do. And what he says he's going to accomplish, he's going to accomplish. Oh, he may use you, he may use me, he may not, but his will will be done, amen? And that's what we discover. He remembers his promises. He says, the God of David, your father, that's how he describes himself. Would that come to pass? We fast forward this Christmas season to the gospel of Matthew and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah and Solomon the father of Rehoboam and Rehoboam of Abijah and Abijah, Asaph, Asaph, Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, Joram, Joram, Uzziah, Uzziah, Jotham, Jotham, Ahaz and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah and Hezekiah the what? The father of Manasseh. 
This was after. God said, you're going to die and not live. That he and his wife had a boy named Manasseh. And if you read all through Matthew, you'll get to Jesus. Twice in Hezekiah's poem, he refers to God's faithfulness. God never recalls in his answer through Isaiah, Hezekiah's faithfulness, nor does he recall Hezekiah's faithlessness. Remember, Hezekiah says, you've cast all my sins behind your back. So God sees Hezekiah's heart. He says, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you. God sees neither his faithfulness, neither his faithlessness. He sees his heart. Scripture is clear that a humble heart, God will never refuse. Ever. He will never refuse. And some of you may be saying, oh, then is this, uh, is this a license for me to do anything I want? And no, if you ask that question, you're in deeper trouble than you even realize you are. Just by asking the very question. You're looking for an excuse to sin. You're looking for an excuse to do wrong. And then what happens honestly blows my mind. And Isaiah said, bring a cake of figs and let them take and lay it on the boil that he may recover. What? Here you've got a God, an amazing God in heaven who can do anything he wants. Let's use a fig loaf and put it on the king's boil. This is where you get the biblical mandate for essential oils. <laughs> Just kidding. And Hezekiah said to Isaiah, what shall be the sign that the Lord will heal me and that I shall go up to the house of the Lord on the third day? And some of you are thinking, perhaps like I was my friend, well, Hezekiah, why do you need a sign? No, 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 don't judge him, don't judge him. If you go to Isaiah chapter 7, Hezekiah's dad is Ahaz. Ahaz is in deep trouble. He's also not well. He's also going to die. And, and the prophet Isaiah also shows up to him. And, and, and Isaiah says, Ahaz, ask for a sign. Ahaz, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to test God by asking him for a sign. Asking for a sign is a good thing. And Isaiah said, this shall be the sign to you from the Lord that the Lord will do the thing that he has promised. Shall the shadow go forward 10 steps or go back 10 steps? And Hezekiah answered, it is an easy thing for the shadow to lengthen 10 steps. Rather, let the shadow go back 10 steps. And, Hez and Isaiah the prophet called to the Lord and he brought the shadow back 10 steps by which it had gone down on the steps of Ahaz. So what in the world does it mean? All the shadow talk. Well, the best commentators can tell is this is either a sundial, which honestly doesn't appear to have been in, in history at that time, or Ahaz's steps. The steps of Ahaz were a place where they would watch how the sun landed on those steps. And based on how the sun landed on those steps, they could tell what time of day it was. Do you know what blows my mind about this? Is both, and Alan Michael referred to this last week, the, the, the transcendence of God, his otherness, and the imminence of God, his nearness. In the imminence of God, in his nearness, he says, go get a cake of figs and put it on the boil, and he'll be healed. Why? I don't know. 
Just, just go get a cake of figs and put it on the boil. God's going to use Isaiah. He's going to use whoever makes the cake of figs, and all of it is going to come together. Evidently, then, I deduced that Hezekiah had a boil, and he had become septic. That's all I can imagine, and that the blood, the poison, had gone through his system. That's what I imagine has happened. So put a cake of figs on there. And while you're doing that, while you're baking, you know, a cake of figs and you're going to put it on his arm, while you're doing that, I'll mess with the sun and the moon and the stars and I'm going to cause time to shift. That's God. That's our God. He can simultaneously use you and me in such a menial way to do his work, and he will. That is his plan A. He will use you, and he will use me, and you will invite somebody to worship, or you will uh, work in kids' worship, and God will speak through what you think might be small, or lead a life group, and God will use you and, and invest in someone. Just this week, I received a phone call from a Montreat student. He left a voicemail. I called him back. His name's Brian. Brian was a student of mine who approached me struggling. I honestly had forgotten the conversation with him. I called him back on, on the day after Thanksgiving, and we're talking, and Brian lives in Houston, and Brian said, Dr. Lewis, I, I, I was calling to thank you. For what? He said, years ago as a student at Montreat, you took a piece of paper and you drew a diagram on it and you said that I was over here on one side, a sinner, and that God was over here on the other side, holy, and that there was a big chasm that separated me from God. See, Brian grew up Catholic. His idea of getting from here to here was to work really hard and to do some really good things. And I drew little planks that would not get all the way of works and money and morality and things. And, but then I drew it out into the shape of a cross that filled the chasm. And I said, Brian, Jesus died for you on the cross so that you put your faith in him. And when you do, you, you, you can have a relationship with God. He said... I'd ask him to call me Jerry. He said, Jerry, I, I believed that then. It, it's in my journal, but I wandered from it for three years. And he began to confess his sins of the last three years. And he said, but I can't explain to you how that image in that journal haunted me. How when I was sinning, I would see that image in that journal and, and I would know that I didn't have to live my life like that. And he said, I'm just calling to tell you that on Sunday I walked into church and I bowed and I asked God to forgive me. And he said, and would you believe he did? <laughs> yeah. And he said, with everything in me, I'm walking with him. I want to live for him. I want to live my life for him. I had no idea that God would use a menial drawing from a, a, a sinful professor to, to explain how you go from darkness to light in such a way. But God does. 
And that same God says, let me adjust the planets and stop time. I would ask you, what sign are you looking for to prove to you that God wants to add years to your life or life to your years? And I would say to you, you need not look beyond the cross You see on the cross is the ultimate sign. It is a sign of a God who condescended and became one of us. And Jesus died on the cross like figs and like turning back time. The holy and the profane met on the cross in the most remarkable way. God became a man. The creator of the universe uh, screamed in pain. And then too the sun went dark. Jesus' darkest hour became that criminal's finest hour. His death became life for that common criminal hanging beside him. And from the cross he forgave all who would call on him, including you. Amen? His darkest hour became that, but that wasn't all, was it? They took his body down. They laid him in an empty tomb. They put him in a borrowed tomb, the creator of the universe, lying in the tomb of a rich man, the wealthy man, Joseph of Arimathea. Oh, but when they put him in that tomb, there was a time clock ticking. An alarm was about to go off, and it was set for how many days, church? Three days, and look at the story of Hezekiah. What does Isaiah say to Hezekiah? Isaiah looks at him and says, Hezekiah, God sent me back to you to tell you that you are going to live and not die. And what you need to do is in how many days? Three days. Go back to the temple. And when you go to the temple, present yourself to God, and you'll have 15 more years of your life. On that third day, God raised Jesus up from the dead, and he added years to his son's life so that he could add life to your years. He raised Christ from the dead. Unless you think Hezekiah is just a figure in history that God is using in a remarkable way to save his own people. Hezekiah is looking forward to a Jesus that God will raise from the dead and save you from your sins. Amazing, amazing. How does Hezekiah respond? He says in verse 19 and 20, the living, the living, he thanks you as I do this day. The Father makes known to the children your faithfulness. The Lord will save me and we will play my music on stringed instruments all the days of our lives at the house of the Lord. We're going to sing, he says. We're going to play some instruments. Why? Because live people Sing and worship and give God praise. Notice that Hezekiah, in considering the answer to prayer, is now not focused on his faithfulness, but the Lord's. He says, I'll tell my children your faithfulness. I want to ask you a question. Do you remember the day 
when you went from darkness to light? Do you remember when you were confronted by the Spirit? I see heads shaking. And God said, you're lost in your sin. And you turned your head to the wall. And you said, Lord, no. I don't want to go on like this. I I need you, Jesus. I don't want to go on like this. And that day, God gloriously picked you up and, and, and saved you and resurrected you and began a work in you. Hezekiah's life would be forever marked by this day when Isaiah came in and said, you'll die and not live. And I'll say something to you this morning. When you come to Christ, your life will be forever marked by that day when God looked at you and said, you will die and not live and there's no recovery for you. But you turned to that God and said, save me, a sinner. And he did, didn't he? He saved you. Would you bow your heads for a moment? If you're in the room this morning and you have never, you you can't remember that day that I'm describing. I'm not talking about the date. I'm talking about the meeting with God. I'm talking about being confronted uh, by God and praying and giving your life to him. And you say, this morning, God's dealing with me. You may even be a member of this church. You you may have sung on this stage before. You may have read scripture. You you may have uh, volunteered in in preschool or kids ministry. But this morning, all of a sudden, you realize I'm lost without Jesus. I desperately need him to save me. If this morning is that, no one is looking around. We're live. And if you're online and this is that for you, let we have folks that are working with you. Let them know. Uh, but even the camera is zoomed in on me right now. Nobody sees you. If that is you and you say, this morning... I'm giving my life to Jesus. This morning, I'm turning my face to the wall and saying, Jesus, I need you. I'm sorry. I'm done with myself and done with my sin. And I want you to save me today. Would you just lift up your hand wherever you are and say, by that, Jerry, I I want to, to give my life to Jesus this morning. Thank you. Are there others who say, thank you? I see your hand. Are there others who say this morning, I'm done with my sin. And Jesus is speaking to me. And I'm sorry for my sin. And I want Jesus. Anyone else? 
you're online or in the room, simple prayer. Dear Jesus, I am sorry for my sins. I know they separate me from you. Please forgive me. Today, I trust you with my life the good and the bad. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. Thank you, Jesus, that you rose from the dead. I believe that. Now live in me. Take over my life. I surrender to you today. Oh, Lord Jesus, you brought two people from death to life. And we praise you. And all God's people say, would you rejoice with these two who've given their lives to Jesus this morning? Amen. For those of you who responded, Adrian will be down here uh, at the end of this service. Please come and talk with him. And uh, we want to walk with you through next steps in your journey with God of how to grow and become who God has called you to be. Um, so exciting.